Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Welcome. Welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Oh, what a show. What a show. But then again, it's always what a show, isn't it? Big guest today, big state of wrestling today, so much going on in the world of pro wrestling, so much to talk about. Of course, Beast in the East that went down on Saturday, July 4th. It's not how I celebrated July 4th. We'll get into, we'll get into Beast in the East. We'll get into you know everything going on in NXT, of course. That's, that's all the news coming out of Beast in the East, for the most part, circulated around NXT. Uh, everything that's happened on Raw... You know, the the same stuff is going on over in TNA. Will they or won't they be in business is all anybody's talking about. Nobody's actually talking about the show. We'll, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. Uh, first, I'm here in Orlando. I'm not in my usual Sam Roberts studio. And by studio, I mean one-and-a-half-bedroom apartment. And, yes, there is a half-bedroom. Okay, It's a big living room. If you put up a wall, it would be a small room. So it's a one-and-a-half-bedroom apartment. I know, don't all gasp and be impressed at once. But here in Orlando, uh, I don't know if we're letting the cat out of the bag right away. You'll find out soon enough. I'm headed down to the uh, Performance Center, the WWE Performance Center tomorrow. As I said, I'm making my debut at NXT. I'm just kidding. I'm going to be covering uh, for a couple of publications that you'll hear about and will announce on the podcast as it happens, but hopefully, definitely be doing some interviews at the Performance Center tomorrow. Hopefully, um, I'll have some content for the podcast based on the stuff we do at the Performance Center tomorrow. If no content, we'll at least have some stories that you'll be able to have as the podcast rolls on next week and the week after and the week after and the week after. Oh, we'll talk about Stone Cold. Speaking of people that have done the podcast and things that we talk about, Stone Cold Steve Austin, cover of WWE 2K16, I'm going to get into that. So much to talk about today, but first, let's get to the reason why a lot of people listen. That's the interview segment, and this week, it's not going to disappoint. Last week, we had Tatanka making Katie Linendahl's dream come true. This week, James E. Cornette, somebody who some of you might know based on his time in the WWE, sort of similar to when Tatanka was there. Some of you from... Everything he did in the NWA, everything he did in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Some of you might know him as the guy who spent time behind the scenes at Ring of Honor. So there's a hundred different reasons for you to know who Jim Cornette is in the wrestling business. But if you don't know who Jim Cornette is, I can't say you're a fan of pro wrestling. You have to know he's one of the most outspoken, uh, one of the best wrestling minds there is. I was up in Rhode Island at the New England Fan Fest, and I was hosting the Jim Cornette one-man show. It's called the Jim Cornette Experience. If it's in your town, check it out because it's a, it's a ridiculous, wild show. Trust me, I was the host, and I walked in there and said, all right, Jim, what are we doing? And it was basically call it in the ring. There is no planning, and it's not one of those shows that people say, oh, we don't plan this, but really there's a ton of planning. Most of the time when people go, no, we don't even plan this. They, plan, they spend a lot of time planning it, and they make sure it sounds as off-the-cuff as possible. But they are nervous, and they want to make sure that their off-the-cuffness comes off perfectly. And so there's nothing off-the-cuff about it. However, Jim Cornette is entirely off-the-cuff. Um, a couple of notes 
that he had going in, but that was it. He's one of the only people, not in wrestling, public speaking, but in public speaking in general, who will start his show with politics. Nobody starts their show with politics because it's instantly polarizing. You're bound to cut off part of your audience when you start with politics. But instantly, he gets up on stage in front of a group of wrestling fans and he starts talking about gay marriage and taxes and, and politicians and everything that's on his mind. I thought it was great to hear a guy that smart talk about something besides wrestling. You could tell he's got a passion for it and he's happy to be in front of an audience. And I was surprised that he maintained the entire audience. Everybody who was there to see Jim Cornette stuck around, uh, maybe it's because whenever Jim Cornette talks, it's entertaining. Whatever he's talking about, it's entertaining. He's been at the center of controversy uh, as Kevin Owens and people like Kevin Owens have become stars. Those words that Jim Cornette once uttered about them, Kevin Owens, the Young Bucks, people like that. Even Sami Zayn, which I didn't know until this interview. uh, People like that becoming successful, Jim Cornette has had to eat his words as he said they wouldn't be successful. So I talked to him about that after the one-man show that I hosted for him. I found him the next day at the New England Fan Fest, which was a great time. Hopefully we'll be back next year and you can come by and say hi and I'll be there. Who knows? Uh, But Jim Cornette was there. I was there. I grabbed him. I brought him over to the table and that brings us to what we have this week on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. My guest James E. Cornette. And now, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast interview. Ah! Oh. <laughs> you know what that means. We're at uh, New England Fan Fest, and the Prince of Polyester is here, Jim Cornette. Hey! Jim, what's the haps? The former Prince of Polyester. Now I'm, I'm, I'm suitably attired. I'm a paragon of sartorial resplendency. I don't know what that means. Well, then... It, it means that Howard Finkel's making another announcement all, right over the top of us. It's so loud here. The Fan Fest activities, Sam, are going cra- just you, crazy. You would think Howard Finkel, who does, by the way, the voiceover intros for this podcast, but you would think Howard gets to watch you and Mean Gene and all the rest of you sit around and sign and interact with the fans, and he's got to go to work. He's got to still ring I know, he, he works. Thing. He's the hardest working man in, in the fan fest business. He yeah. does this everywhere, and his pipes never... I lose my voice doing all this stuff. He always sounds mellifluous. The tones yeah. are remarkable, dulcet tones. He still sounds like Howard Finkel. It's incredible. You're, but you're not only doing the, the signings, you're also doing the one-man show. Well, it was a one-and-a-half-man show last I mean, night because you were, you were kind enough to be the host of it. So. Right. So it was a one-and-a-half-man show. But, uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm like the Bruce Springsteen of the Fan Fest guests, right? Mm-hmm. I, my, my Q&As go longer. My one-man shows go longer. My, my autograph sessions go longer. I stay until every drop of sweat has been wrung out of my body. Every autograph has been signed. Every baby has been kissed. I love to kiss babies, especially female babies, between that, the ages of 18 and 32. There they are. And those make the best babies. They make they? the best babies. It's true. I'd like to powder their little butts. I mean, you are a draw here, and you look around, and a lot of these tables Oh, are Sam, empty. no, I couldn't draw a greasy string out of a cat's <laughs> ass. Right. No, you're uh, you're just you're, you're being so nice to me. So one of the things... You know, you talk about uh, how different wrestling is now and how it's just not for you anymore. The business itself. Do you think the business has changed negatively or do you think the business has passed you by? Uh, uh, both. Uh, uh, no, I, I know there's some things that I do not agree with about modern day wrestling that probably are good developments. Yeah. 
But at the same point, you know, it's become a completely different industry. As I mentioned, it's not even predicated on the same kind of logic it used to be. We used to be simulating a conflict, and now we're exhibiting a performance. It's it, it's it's completely different, and I just, you know, I'm... I'm not real good at that, nor am I real interested at that. Right, so you're uh, not necessarily trying to figure out how to fix what's gone wrong. You're just saying, I've, this I've, isn't what I signed up for. I've finally thrown up my hands and said, <laughs> no, I ain't going to do anything about this single-handed, and it's not really what I got interested in, so I'll be over here at the house with my new puppy, Harley Quinn Cornet. Yeah. At Quinaroonie on Twitter. Is you can follow puppies? Harley Quinn. That's the puppy's Twitter. It's a rough life, you know. She's the Duchess of the Dogwoods. I would imagine. Yeah. I would imagine. I guess so you're a comic book fan. I'm a big comic book fan. I I started collecting comic books when I was six years old, just turned six, and I was at my aunt's house, and yeah. my older cousins, because I was bored, my older cousins, my aunt said, had some funny books in the basement, and I still have a number of those books because it was a box of 200 Marvels with a Journey into Mystery 83 and Avengers number one, Whoa. and some early X-Men and Fantastic Four, and I still have those, but I had to pay for them. I had to buy them. This was in 19... 19- 68, and uh-huh. I had to give my cousins my entire weekly allowance of 50 cents. So it was worth it. it, it I, I have gotten a return on my investment. <laughs> Your investment appreciated. Um, do you still have the books now? Yes, as a matter of fact, only over the past couple of years I've started breaking some of the titles up. And I had a complete run of every Marvel and DC superhero title of the Silver Age from so, 1959 to 1975. This is what you mean when you describe yourself as a collector. Oh, yeah, I collect everything, not just wrestling. I collect things with Disney collectibles, uh, horror movie collectibles, comic book and related pop culture items, DVDs and movies, et cetera, et cetera. But, but the comic books, yeah, and I was always a Marvel fan instead of a DC fan. I always thought... Marvel, I equated to the NWA. Uh, DC was the WWF. Really? Marvel was... See, that's the difference. I think that's just how you grow up, because I think Marvel, for some reason, is always the good guy. Like, for me, I was a WWF kid growing up. Well, no, but think about it this way. So I saw Marvel as WWF, and DC was WCW because it wasn't as good. Well, think about it this way. Yeah. The Marvel characters and the Marvel stories were always more serious, and they were always more contemporary, and they were always more gritty and seemed like more realistic, whereas the DC, if you remember the, the covers of Superman, when he'd be sitting in the barber's chair, but his hair is invulnerable, so the barber's scissors are broken on the hair. Right. Or an Infinity cover where he's reading the magazine, and in the, uh, the cover of the magazine is he's reading the magazine, etc. It just seemed like the WWF was more showbiz. So was DC. Marvel was a little more... A little blood and guts. Mm-hmm. I like that. Mm-hmm. Fantastic Four. Things going. It's clobbering time, motherfucker. Right. So you there like you that. go. So yeah, but I, I was a big collector, and still I've kept my Amazing Fantasy 15. I spent a lot of money for that one. I bought that in 1973 for 25 dollars. 25 bucks. And, That's uh, way over budget. <laughs> <laughs> but I've, I've 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 still kept a number of the titles, but I've been selling some off as I go to the comic conventions because I'm a. I, I passed collector and got into hoarder. If you go right, to jimcornette.com, mm-hmm. you can actually see pictures of my vault where I store my collection. Well, especially as a married guy, I would imagine it's not easy. Trust me, I know. It's not easy to maintain collections and a relationship. Well, but see now, the thing is, and, and there's some truth to that in terms of I realized when I finally got everything in the house and we renovated and everything and I looked at it all in one place, I said, okay, this has gotten out of hand, and since I am older than my wife, if I go first, she's the world's largest, you know, used pop culture memorabilia dealer. Yeah. But she's also a collector, and she's got a San Francisco room, and she's got the room where she collects her witches, and she's got the room where she collects her 
her uh, various supernatural tarot cards and and uh, uh, crystal balls is where I'm going with that. Right. So so, so she, you get her collecting something, so that way your stuff is okay. Yeah, and and, and the Harley Quinn collection. Right. You know, so I get her a Harley Quinn, and then I get a bunch of old programs from you know Boston. <laughs> right. And you named the dog Harley Quinn. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's about the dog. We collect. Many people books. think I named our dog after Harley Race. I did not. I respect uh, former seven-time world champion Harley Race, but I would not name a dog after him. Well, I got to tell you, I had to get rid of my cat. Uh, and that's a longer story, but you know what the cat's name is? What is the cat's name? Bruiser Brody. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that, was, that was the condition. It was like, yeah, we can get a cat, but I get to name this cat. Okay, what are you going to name it? Bruiser Brody. Oh, my God. There's, there's and fortunately, the cat had the personality of Bruiser Brody, so we had to get rid of it. Well, I was going to say, maybe you could also bought a parakeet and named it Jose Gonzalez, <laughs> and we could have had the thing come out right after yeah, all these years. You guys are not showering together. That's yeah. for goddamn sure. <laughs> so, you know, what, what's your favorite part about doing conventions like this? Do you think the wrestling fans, now that you come here, you interact with them, do you think they kind of get behind what you're saying or are they disagreeing because they're still wrestling fans? Um, well no I mean you know but I, a lot of them and I do I do mainstream stuff like comic conventions and, and movie conventions and pop culture things that don't involve just a group of wrestling fans and it's 99 to 1 they used to love wrestling they don't watch it anymore right. and I think that means as an industry we've failed to make a generation of new fans equal to the size of the one we had previously and even the modern-day wrestling fans understand that, that there's not as many of them as there used to be. And they want there to be more. Obviously, right. you don't want to be outnumbered. So I think they take the, uh, the criticisms and or observations uh, to heart most of the time. But I love coming to these fan fests because not only do I get to see other uh, wrestlers and people in the wrestling industry that I haven't seen in a long time, but I get to see a lot of fans I haven't seen in a long time. I get to meet new ones. There's people digging ditches. So it's not a hard job to have right. people tell you how great you are. <laughs> And, and want to shake your hand, and then also to feed the nerd and the collector and the, and the, and the fan and the, you know, mark in me. Um, I, you know, I get to go around, and I get in first to do the shopping, so I get all the oldest magazines or all the coolest pieces of memorabilia. So there are I've, got a, I've got a box under my booth right now that your head would explode if you saw <laughs> the, the antiquity of the wrestling merchandise under there. You go in first and get all the good stuff. Oh, you know I do, brother. You know I do. As Gary Hart would say, you know I do, brother. <laughs> So if you're a memorabilia collector and G- and Jim Cornette is on the is on the roster of talent coming to the convention, you're fucked. Don't bother. Yeah, trying. don't even try. <laughs> don't even try. just stay home. What were you doing? What was your job when you were working with Ring of Honor most recently? Uh, I was the executive you know, producer ago. of television, uh, which that was an on camera and off camera role. As on camera role, I was the guy who made the matches. It just instead of being general manager or matchmaker, whatever, executive producer. And pretty much with the Sinclair purchase, the same thing. Uh, worked with uh, Delirious, uh, who is the booker, and together we, we handled creative. And, and also then I was the, uh, the, the go-between between the technical crew and mm-hmm. the wrestlers trying to explain, because I had the most experience, honestly, at doing television, to explain to them how to work TV or to explain to the crew how to shoot wrestling. Uh, you and know, because I mean, it's a double-edged sword. you got to have both in, in sync with each other. And as meticulous... And difficult to work with, I would imagine, as Vince McMahon may be, that had to be invaluable working with Vince when it came to oh, yeah. producing a TV show because yeah. there's very few people that produce a TV show as well as WWE does. Well, yeah, he, no, he's got a network quality facility yeah. and they do tremendous work and you learn how to not only to uh, to do it but how to how to take the shortcuts and explaining it to people <laughs> just right. over a right. period of time that, you know, and that's what you need because in wrestling it's, 
it's quick and it's snatch and grab and you know you got to get what you can get so it was it was it was a it's a tough job it was a little bit harder than it needed to be because you know Sinclair Broadcasting didn't give us any of the equipment that I thought we were going to have when we started out so it was really a low budget operation but at the same time, you know, you got to get the show on air. And when you see them signing with Destination America, is that one of those moments where you're like, oh, they got more eyes on them. I wish I was still had my hands on that. Well, no, no I'm, I'm happy. No, I believe me. I don't care successful or unsuccessful or anything in between. I'm off the road and I'm enjoying myself. And right. no, I, I do have no envy whatsoever. I'm glad they're on Destination America. And once again, and I hate to, you know, the compliment sandwich like Stewie Griffin. I'll start off with saying something good, then I'll hit you in the middle. <laughs> they're giving them a rerun show that they've already run on their stations the weekend before. I would have once again, the promoter in me, the showbiz in me instead of the canned goods business in me, would have said, hey, gamble six months, do yeah. a show just for them, point people to it. You're auditioning to get on a real network. They're not getting paid for the show, I know, but at the same time, why give them a rerun? Yeah. Let's 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 make an investment, but and, that's and, not and the make, way. Make the first episode feel like you know you're acknowledging yeah. all these Destination America people. Like, do hey. a, do a do a re-edit for at least a stand-up intro. Hey, welcome, sure. thank you for joining us on our brand new. And let's let's yeah. introduce you to some of our personalities yeah. because you haven't been watching on Sinclair. But Sinclair, are, the people that run it are Republicans, and <laughs> they're, they're yes, and they're very conservative, and they're also cheap. As a matter of fact, they're tighter than the skin on a hot dog. <laughs> I can hear them walking down the hall because they squeak. They're that's so it. tight. Yes. That's it. And you got to work within those confines. Did you know? When you were at Ring of Honor, that you were looking at the guys that would be the next generation of WWE's main event, like like I'm talking about, not just well, not just the one or two guys, but I mean WWE just came in and took you know Generico and Steen and 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 uh, uh, Claudio and and just uh, Brian. And, I knew I was looking at the next generation of top stars in the business. I didn't know it would necessarily be with WWE because at that point they had not actually admitted publicly or just by their actions that they'd been making a mistake and recruiting the wrong people and they hadn't been signing up the top independent guys right they wanted to get former football players nothing the matter with that and former lingerie models there is something the matter with that but they <laughs> they didn't want people with wrestling experience they wanted to teach them from the ground up and that wasn't going to work because you don't they don't give them enough time yeah but guys that have already been on the independent scene that have shown the the dedication and the desire that it takes to wrestle at a you know, a very low pay level and a very high action level and the dedication it takes to make the travel and et cetera, that's who you want to put your training and your time and your your, your investment in is guys who've already, already proven they want it. And then you reward them with better training and, and more time and et cetera. You know, uh, you can take guys from scratch, but they need to really be dedicated and want it. It's not guys you want to talk into doing this. Right. Hey, I'll give you a bunch of money if you'll try this out. Well, sure. <laughs> Does that mean you want to do it, or does that mean you're just going to do it until the money dries up? Yeah. Will you ever be any good at it? We don't know. Right. How are, are you surprised at how successful Kevin Steen has been as of late? Um. Well, yes, and I said this on my show, the Jim yeah. Cornette experience, uh, here several weeks ago. I always knew he had the talent to do it. Christ, we made him the Ring of Honor world champion for a year. He was undefeated. Right. But the problem is I didn't think he had the attitude to do it. When we asked him to lose weight, when we asked him to take time off and come back with a different look and a different push, when we asked him to do a match a certain way or do anything a certain way, there was so much argument and pushback and refusal and not producing any of those things, etc. 
that I thought that basically when he went to Florida, either he, the WWE, or both would need a psychiatrist in 90 days. Gotcha. But he apparently, he is, he's never going to be svelte, and we didn't want that. We uh-huh. wanted him not to be obese, to, to lose a little weight. He's done that. His gear may not look any more professional, but at least it's cleaner. Um, and what's more, he apparently is doing as he's asked to do instead of just going into business for himself or arguing about anything, whether it be inside the ring and outside the ring, whether it be his airport parking getting paid for. No, I'm sorry, I was generico. Because he was the second biggest pain in the ass next to Steen. Really? It has something to do with French Canadians and wrestling. If you, go, <laughs> if you ask around, you will find this out. With the exception of Pat Patterson, every French Canadian in wrestling has pretty much been a pain in the ass. Maybe Mad Dog Vachon. <laughs> but anyway, Steen's done that. He's, he's fulfilling his potential now because he's changed the way he thought about being told to do things by his, his employer. And when you see that, I guess with Generico too, because I didn't even know this was going on with Generico. But when you see that and you can tell you're watching, the fact that they're on Raw means that you know they're not pissing off too many people. Do you go like, well, why yeah. the fuck wouldn't you do it for me? Why well, yeah, well, I know, I know why they wouldn't do it. It wasn't as much money at stake. Uh, uh, but with Generico, you know, Generico got mad at me because I always said, I said that his selling was impeccable and he was an amazing athlete. He was very strong for his frame. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was a wonderful baby face in the ring. I said he needed to ditch the silly mask and the goofy gimmick. He needed to learn to speak and do interviews and try to get a tan, even though he's a redheaded ginger Muslim from Montreal. And I said, then you will find mainstream success, my son. And he thought I was crazy. And all he's had to do to get mainstream success is lose the goofy gimmick and the name and the mask and learn how to do promos. And and actually, he has a bit of a tan now. Just There's a little bit of a glow there. And this is why you're the master. Because people are saying, you know, oh, you know, Cornette didn't see anything in these guys. And now they're the biggest stars in the world. And your response is... Yeah, they're the biggest stars in the world because they're doing what I told them to do. That's basically my response, and I, you know, and I don't care if anybody doesn't like it or not because that, that's what you can go back. That's what I was saying before they became the biggest stars in the world. So I'm not changing my story now to stay ahead of the law, Sam. Who do you think, uh, looking forward, because I think, you know, people talk to you a lot about the old school and what's wrong with today and, and, and you know, the years and years and years you spent doing every job imaginable in wrestling. But the fact that you were doing what you were doing with Ring of Honor, you know, a few years ago, kind of speaks to your ability to stay forward thinking as far as the business goes. Um, are there people you're aware of that you think WWE or, or TNA or whatever, mainstream, whatever that means, should be aware of? Uh, well, TNA should be, probably be aware of their, their accountant. <laughs> um, and nobody's going to go to TNA anymore unless they have no other choice. That's just, that's not even a you know supposition that's just obviously fact it's now more attractive to go work for ring of honor than it is tna you'll have more shows more paydays more people to see you um I, you know i'm a big fan as far as people who are not in the wwe in the wrestling yeah. business these days adam cole is a superstar mm-hmm. uh he and mike bennett uh who i've been championing for the past five or six years now mike bennett's exploding he's the hottest thing he's going to japan he's huge in ring of honor he's in demand so is maria they got a great package um uh, you know, guys like that have gone to WWE tryout camps in the past and were passed over in favor of somebody that would look good, you know, in a funny suit that the writer came up with. But yeah. I'm a big fan of Mike Bennett. Adam Cole is tremendous. Jay Lethal, the new Ring of Honor world champion. I was instrumental in getting him signed to a contract when he came back to Ring of Honor about five years ago. Uh, when I found out he was available, I was shocked. 
that TNA or WWE did TNA didn't want to re-sign him, WWE didn't want to sign him. I'm like, oh god, I just found gold laying on the sidewalk. Uh-huh. Uh huh. The Briscoe Brothers are the best tag team. I mean, Isn't that, I was, Daniels I was, and Kazarian and O'Reilly and Fish, yes, are. But I love the Briscoe Brothers just because they're the complete package, and you yeah. can't make that shit up. Nobody could write that. I was at. I was talking about this on the podcast recently. I was at a Ring of Honor show uh, in New York the other week, and I was looking because I've interviewed. You know, Adam Cole is a no-brainer, I think. And I've interviewed Jay Briscoe before, and he's like, he's becoming a, a, a star. You can see yeah. the star in him. And I was watching him, and like, you know, he's, he's ripped to shreds. He's got this amazing look. And he's got, I, I looked at him in the ring, and it was kind of the first time that it clicked that he's got that amazing thing where you're afraid of him. If I, I'm sitting in the yeah. front row, and he's beating up somebody, I'm afraid of him. Like, I don't want him to hit me. But then I look at him in the ring as a baby face, and he'll smile, and you'll see a nice guy, and all of a yeah. sudden he's got that sympathy. And I'm like, that. I haven't seen that. You know, that's like a one of those Mick Foley traits that you never... We, we talked about that last night. We're not scared of wrestlers anymore. But Jay Briscoe, when he gets that game face on and right. he looks at you, you don't want to be standing in front of him. But and there's not many you know, people that can also do the, now I'm smiling and the girls true. can yeah, sit there. Exactly. And the girls will say, but he looks like a nice guy. Yeah. You know, and, and I, don't, I don't think many people it's can It's a shame he off. ate my brother. He's right. such a nice guy. Right, and it, and it kind of blew my mind that at least Jay, if not the whole Briscoe's team, hasn't been scooped up by now well there were a few issues and we, we try to keep jay away from twitter as much as possible and and i think uh, sooner or later you will see they will be the dominant tag team in the business if there's any if there's any justice so you think even now you know they because they've been in ring of honor for what 10 years or more you think even now there is still it's gonna i mean i guess oh, yeah, they, they just turned 30 yeah they wow. started wrestling as teenagers so wow. these guys are still puppies with big paws as good as they've gotten over the past 10 they're just entering the point now where guys used to be starting to enter their prime when they yeah. get into their 30s they're still young guys they've got some scars they've got some mileage on them but they're young guys and I, they've got another 10 years to to show what they can do are you surprised to hear that Samoa Joe had shown up in NXT and WWE? Um, once again, happy, surprised, yes, because not because he was not talented enough to, but because I didn't think, once again, because of the TNA stench necessarily, or right. because he doesn't fit their mode of what a top guy should be, should look like, that uh, they would sign him. But it's a tremendous, once again, maybe they're changing their spots. Yeah. Because you can't find anybody that, that is more believable that is that is uh, he, Samoa Joe has always been a great talent, and obviously he and Kurt Angle, the only ones ever to, to sell a TNA pay per view. If you can sell a TNA pay per view, <laughs> you're doing something. Have you has that ever come across your your way? Has it ever been a thought that you would go and help TNA creatively? I, I was there once at one time. Yeah, you know this, right? I don't remember. You uh, 2006 to 2009. You were. Tell me they, about hi- they, they hired me as uh, Jeff and Dutch asked me to come in, and they hired me, and I finally came in after I'd freed myself from other business with the WWF, and, and three months later they hired the other guy. <laughs> and then oh, I, of course. Then I tried to quit, and they wouldn't let me. Of and course. then I coexisted with the fucking guy for three years, and then he fucked all of us, and it, 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 like I predicted. And, you know, so, yeah, no, I, I that would be like, hey, we dug the Titanic up off the bottom of the sea. Uh-huh. We plugged the hole. Would you like to take another ride? <laughs> right. Don't worry. It's safe. Yeah, it is perfectly safe. <laughs> Unsinkable. Well, my God. So this doesn't give you the itch at all when you see, like, it's, it's, so, it's so interesting because how, why do you think you've been able to maintain wrestling fandom? Because most of the people that I talk to, especially when you speak candidly, maybe not on a podcast, but when you speak to a person candidly, yeah. people end up leaving the wrestling business fairly bitter 
and not necessarily a fan of the wrestling business. Well, I'm not a fan of the wrestling business now, but I'm definitely a fan of the so, wrestling business then. So you still, <laughs> so it's just a retro thing. Hey, here's the thing. Yeah. I can still collect vintage wrestling memorabilia and watch vintage wrestling matches because unless I have one of everything ever made or I've seen every match that's ever been filmed and still exists, it's still new to me. Right. Right. They're just not. But you know the most successful pro wrestling promotion in the world today, right? What is it? It's called the UFC. You find the UFC to be pro wrestling? I find it to be closer to pro wrestling in the 70s that I grew up with than what we see now because at least they're hyping a fight between two personalities. And if you watch, and especially a guy gets busted open, he starts making a comeback, the crowd feels the same way. Yeah. They go crazy. They're using a lot of the old pro wrestling tricks that we don't use anymore. Like what? It's just that, well, I mean, any manner of hype in a fight. Mm -hmm. And just the idea of the first UFC special on Fox, I thought, until it ended in like a 16-second knockout. I remember Dos Santos and Velazquez. It was actually one of the greatest pro wrestling programs I'd ever seen because the promoter, Dana White, was there with the announcers, introduced Brock Lesnar, who at the time was the champion, and the, the winner of this fight tonight will face the champion, and it's a sport-based right. presentation. They gave the rules. They illustrated what it was like. And then you have guys trash-talking each other. And you build up that conflict. And that was pro wrestling for 80 years. Establish your rules. Establish your stars. Tell the people what they're fighting for. Have them trash-talk each other. And then they meet in the ring and settle the thing. How much of this do you think is the wrestling industry making the wrong moves? And how much of it is a reaction to culture? Like, Do you think wrestling fans have gotten too smart to take wrestling seriously that's kind of uh, uh, given to you from a sports perspective? And do you think culture in general? Because culture now is probably is, is nowhere near as kind of mean as it used to be. You know, everybody, everybody wants to get worried about getting... Nobody wants to be offended. You know, everybody's got something to, oh, yeah, to battle yeah. cry against. Nobody, everybody wants to see everybody win. Everybody be okay. Everybody, so Well, actually... Is culture as a whole, but if you go to certain places, there's people still want to see some deserved asshole get the shit kicked out of him. <laughs> and right? those are wrestling. That's where you're talking. That's a wrestling crowd. Yeah. And you know, part of it is yes, they're all smart. They know everything, and that's our fault because hey, magic has been around just as long, if not longer, as pro wrestling. And I still sure. don't know how Chris Angel gets run over with the steamroller, right? Yeah. So that's on us. Yeah. We shouldn't have done it. That was Vince's vision. Oh, why kid ourselves? Oh, well, why kid ourselves so everybody can make a living? Dumb <laughs> you know. But anyway, uh, part of it is that everybody's smart. But at the same time, I'm sorry. I just think that that's something that's we, – we've let the horse out of the, out of the barn at this point, but still something that's treated seriously. I know that John Wayne didn't shoot all those Indians in the movies, but right. he didn't help them up off the ground and dust them off on screen. Right. Or we could at, still take a more serious approach to things. Yeah, come at the end of the movie and say, before everybody leaves the theater, I want everybody to know everybody's yeah. okay. I didn't hurt anybody. No one was harmed in the making. Or, or like that Spider-Man issue, right, 70-something, where – the Spider-Man costume is in the garbage can, and Peter Parker's walking away, and the blurb, is this the end of Spider-Man? Yeah. Well, no, it's not. We know it's not. It's one of your most major uh, characters and one of your biggest titles, and we know you're not going to fold the book, and somehow this is going to be righted at the end, but at the same time, we're going to take the ride with you. Right. Because you're not saying right at the top, boy, this is some phony shit that our writer just thought up. Yeah. You're also... I'm going to let you go back to your booth in just a second, because... You got a line of yeah. I, I got like a, I, said, I got a line of people. It's so long. I gee, many Pete. They have to chop it off the fire marshals you're here. You're a big draw. Well, I mean, also in Spider-Man, you also trusted that they would tell you this story that you know the result to in a new and exciting way. Yes. Whereas 
a lot of times in wrestling, you're like, yeah, I know the story. I know exactly what's yeah. going to happen. I know how the retirement match ends. I know what happens next. And, and that's Not honoring kind of, your stipulations is right. another thing. That's the worst thing in every old-time territory knew. If you give a stipulation out, honor it, or you're going to kill your business. Yeah. But when the comedy writers came in and decided that nobody ever took this seriously to begin with, and why should we... Yeah, because that's because what's happened is you're not winning over people who don't take wrestling seriously, and you're getting the wrestling. Fans you're pissing and you're off the them. people who do take it. Yeah, right. exactly. You're like, so I it, know it's, I, but don't rub it in my face. It's somehow a double negative. <laughs> well, I, I see by the clock on the wall, Sam. The guy in green is dragging me away. He yes. has people. Jim Cornette, thank you for giving. You got to come on my show sometime. Now we've to. got each other's numbers. Yes. We exchanged numbers. We did. Had a little fondle in the hallway, we and we're good we now. Thank you. <laughs> Sam, Jim thank Gornet you. for hanging out here at uh, the New England Fan Fest. Thanks, man. Here is Sam Roberts. There you have it. Jim Cornette on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. It was awesome to talk to him. Jim Cornette's one of those guys that you can talk about anything. You could tell in the beginning of the thing, we were talking about comic books and collecting he can talk about anything, and it's going to be entertaining, but I'm glad we got into wrestling. I'm glad we got into wrestling today because part of his show is talking about what is wrong with pro wrestling today. And I think that the question that gets raised, is there something wrong with pro wrestling today? Sure. Sure. I mean, you'd have to say yes because money-wise, it's not as successful as it was 15 years ago. But at the same time, when the people complaining – about wrestling not being as good today as it was 15 years ago are getting older and older and older, the question comes up, and that's why I asked Jim, is it that wrestling isn't as good or is it that wrestling has passed you by? Um, And I thought he was very honest about that when he said it's a little bit of both, that, that he thinks it's not being done as well as it could, but at the same time, the style of wrestling that is popular today has probably passed him by. Uh, So it was great having that honest response. Master of spin. If anything, I had to respect that Jim Cornette could spin anything. The fact that he took that that question about Kevin Steen and Sami Zayn not being marketable talents, when in fact they are marketable talents now, and he spun it to basically say that they weren't marketable talents when he had them, but now they've done everything that he's told them to do, so they are. Not only is he not taking credit for saying that they wouldn't be successful, but he's taking credit for the fact that they are successful. Amazing. He turned the whole thing around, and I had nothing but respect for it. It was incredible. Uh, you can catch Jim at jimcornette.com. If you want to support the podcast, you know where to go. ProWrestlingTees.com slash Sam Roberts. You can get yourself. Everybody knows. I show up at all the live events in the Bree Mode t-shirt. When you watch Raw now, and I watched it this week and I saw it, and you see men on camera, wearing Brie Mode t-shirts. The trend of men wearing Brie Mode t-shirts was started by yours truly, primetime Sam Roberts. No doubt in my mind. I was the first. I made it a thing, and now it's a thing. If you want to be part of the thing, don't just bite off me. Don't wear a Brie Mode shirt. Get the official Not Sam Mode t-shirt. You can get that at ProWrestlingTees.com slash Sam Roberts. Show up to an event with a Not Sam Mode t-shirt because it's the same gag, but... You're letting people know, I know where this came from. I'm on the inside. Unlike you guys, I know what it is. If you don't want to get the Not Sam Mode t-shirt, you can get the What's the Haps t-shirt, the official Not Sam t-shirt, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast t-shirt. It's all up there at ProWrestlingTees.com slash Sam Roberts. Now it's time 
to talk about everything that's going on in the world of pro wrestling with this segment that I call The State of Wrestling. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. State of Wrestling time, yes, where we talk about everything that's going on in the world of pro wrestling. I like to go beyond WWE. I don't like to feel like this is a biased WWE podcast, but honestly, we spend most of the time talking about WWE here because they dominate the pro wrestling world. We can talk a little bit about pro wrestling guerrilla. It was amazing to see Sofia Vergara and Joe Manganiello at the Pro Wrestling Guerrilla Show, the last one out in L.A. It's really great when celebrities show up at those indie wrestling shows just because the whole industry benefits from it. Um, I, I knew that Joe Manganiello, who you know from True Blood and Magic Mike and all these things, uh, he just oozes sexuality, doesn't he, ladies and gentlemen? Gentlemen specifically. Uh, I knew he was a wrestling fan. I've had I, – I get – blessed i get the privilege of getting to talk to some of these celebrities on my sirius xm radio show sam roberts show which is on every day on sirius xm at noon eastern time it's on xm 103 sirius 206 so joe manganiello has been on the show before and i didn't know until the very end of the interview i wish i had more time to talk to him but he's a huge wrestling fan he was doing he i asked him who his favorite wrestler was he said macho man and I said, okay, you know, a lot of people can just say that. But then he went, cup of coffee, yeah. And I said, that's a real Macho Man fan. He's setting the cup of coffee promo. That's a real fan. You know, Gillian Jacobs from Community and a bunch of other stuff. She was at the pro wrestling. She's been at a bunch of pro wrestling guerrilla shows. And if you go on YouTube, you can find my interview with her. Actually, the Joe Magliano interview is up on YouTube as well, YouTube slash Not Sam. But you can find my interview with her where she talks about Generico and Steen and all these guys. Uh, so it's really cool to see them there. And of course, Sofia Vergara is in a relationship with Joe Manganiello. So, so to see the highest paid actress in comedy television, Sofia Vergara show up to a pro wrestling gorilla show that tells you that pro wrestling is not dead, that there is something going on. When I was out in LA, I couldn't make it. In fact, being on, I was on the Stone Cold podcast. I was taping the podcast with Stone Cold Steve Austin while Pro Wrestling Guerrilla was happening. I fully intended on going to Pro Wrestling Guerrilla, but I'm not going to leave 316 Gimmick Street for anything. You will never find me leaving that building early. So um, I missed it, unfortunately, but I'm dying to get out there to see one of those PWG shows. Uh, Same thing is going on with Impact, really. I mean, Impact Wrestling, I feel like the story there, people just keep asking when's it going to go out of business when's it going to go out of business and it's like i feel like at this point we should move on from that question but we've been asking that question for years for years a year ago right now people were assuming tna was going to go out of business six months ago people were assuming tna was going to go out of business you just always assume tna is going to go out of business do i want them to go out of business absolutely not absolutely not should they go out of business absolutely not i mean you know, I mean, the market dictates, I guess. So what are you going to do? But I, no, I don't want them to go out of business. I don't hope they go out of business. Uh, but I think it's a, it's a weird thing. And, and wrestling is in a weird place. We were talking about with Jim Cornette, wrestling being different than it used to be. And wrestling is in a weird place in the sense that the behind-the-scenes story has become a bigger story for a lot of wrestling fans than what's playing out on the screen. In terms of TNA... The storylines that go on, nobody really talks about. There's not a conversation amongst wrestling fans about the storylines that are going on in TNA. But 
whether TNA is going to survive is a story that people are talking about. Really, if if I was running TNA, I would realize what I've got in front of me. I would realize that people are asking, when is TNA going out of business? That's the one talking point that's going on. The one reason people are talking about TNA is because it may or may not go out of business. So all you can really do at that point is realize that's what's happening and turn that into a storyline. Turn it into something. Make Destination America a character on the TV show. Same thing Paul Heyman did with the network on on Spike TV or whatever it was at the time, the national network. You know, make it a character on TV. Make the behind the scenes in front of the scenes. Bring it in front of the scenes and then make it into a story. Control it. You can control that. There's no reason to think that you can't take something like that. You don't need to put it under the rug because people are going to find out now. It's 2015. There's no hiding that stuff. Everybody knows everything. So instead, take control of the story and turn it into a storyline. Blur the lines. Address what people are talking about on the internet on TV. Blur the lion, bl- lions. Blur the, blur the lines. So that people don't know for sure what's real and what's fake. So that people don't know whether it's storyline or whether it's real life. Make it all a part of the show. That's what I would do. I think that's the only way to do it. I'm super happy that EC3 is the world champion now. I think that TNA, one of the, that's the other thing they need to do is just keep building stars. And that's what they've done with EC3. You know, you had this guy who was Derek Bateman in WWE and he was on the NXT sci-fi show. And he had some SmackDown vignettes. They never really did anything with him. And TNA has turned him into a star He's one of the very few big stars, I would say, in TNA that are that were born and bred in TNA. I think they've done a good job with Rockstar Spud. I think they've done a good job with EC3, but they've got to turn these guys into household names. And in order to do that, they have to get people talking about TNA. And in order to do that, they have to figure out what is compelling about the show. And what's compelling about the show is the saga – of whether or not it's going out of business. You had that a little bit when Dixie Carter was an on-screen character. And I'm not against Dixie Carter being an on-screen character, but she has to be used in a certain way. Like, we have to go on screen and make it clear that she's using her dad's money to run this company. We have to, uh, you know, have, have some people come in and say this company's going out of business. Do something to acknowledge what's going on and really, really give the people something to talk about. I think... The show that people have been talking about most, at least since the last podcast, was Beast in the East. The WWE Network special, WWE did the show live from Japan on the WWE Network, which, perfect. A few months ago, I was talking about what WWE needs to do, and it was the same thing as TNA. Just get people talking. You need original content on the network that's going to get people buzzing about it. You know, and that's what they did with Beast in the East. They did that with Elimination Chamber. They're doing that with Specials After Raw. They are doing a, a good job of it, and the network is really starting to take shape, especially since there's uh, more Sam Roberts appearances than there ever have been. But uh, I thought what was really interesting was going, looking at, at Twitter, hashtag Beast in the East was not just trending while the show was on. You know, they were bragging that they had the number one worldwide trend at 530 in the morning, and it was like, well, yeah. Of course you do. It's 5.30 in the morning. That's not that many people tweeting. But all day on Saturday, it was 4th of July and Beast in the East was trending. Now, where I come from, 
the 4th of July is celebrated on the USS Intrepid with a body slam contest in America and followed up with a giant bus that's painted red, white, and blue. Are they going to give Finn Balor? And, and, and who's the hero coming out of, of Beast in the East? Finn Balor? So what? To celebrate Independence Day, you had some Irish guy win a match in Japan. And that's celebrating America. I don't like it. I don't like it. It was a good show. Maybe you do it on July 5th, though. Do we have to do it on July 4th? Did that have to be? Look, it was a, it was a great event. But, but I want to see Macho Man Randy Savage try to body slam somebody, do it unsuccessfully, and then see our hero, Lex Luger, fly down in a helicopter onto the USS Intrepid, pick up the big man and slam him down. Speaking of Jim Cornette, I want to hear Jim Cornette screaming, it was a hip toss, it was a hip toss. That wasn't a body slam, but we all know it was. Something a little more patriotic. It was interesting that they didn't really go patriotic for 4th of July uh, when WWE is such a patriotic company. But still, the show was amazing. Perfect use of the WWE network. Um, I thought there were a couple of interesting things. Number one... Uh, Brock Lesnar was used perfectly. He was used... I didn't have a problem with the booking of the show in general. That was the takeaway. A lot of people were upset that the Brock Lesnar match or the Finn Balor-Kevin Owens match, that neither of those two main evented, which didn't come as a shock at all to me. You know, of course John Cena is going to main event. He's the biggest star in the company. I didn't have a problem with John Cena going on last at all. Yeah, you were. the show was called Beast in the East because Brock Lesnar is wrestling, and that's an attraction. Yeah, you know, the biggest match, the most exciting match, the one that people were maybe tuning in for was the NXT title match, but this is not an NXT show. NXT is the home brand of the WWE Network, yes, but NXT is a secondary brand to WWE, meaning... You can't logically headline a WWE show with NXT superstars because otherwise, put them on the main roster. What are they doing in NXT, right? I, I didn't for a moment think that the Finn Balor-Kevin Owens match was going to main event the show. I thought it would be the most talked about match of the show. Uh, I thought it would be the one that people left you know, discussing. I thought it would probably be the best match of the show. And it, and it probably was. There was one other really great match on the show that I'll talk about. But, of course, you're, it's an international show. Japan doesn't get to see these stars a lot. And you look at that crowd. You look at the Japanese crowd. And there were little mini Japanese John Cena's everywhere. Everybody was wearing a neon t-shirt. Everybody was excited to see John Cena. He, he should have gone on last. You know, unless you want to shift your whole brand and decide that Finn Balor is officially your guy. It's obvious that they're moving in that direction. I do wonder. It's obvious that Finn Balor is being pushed in the direction of he's going to be the guy. Really, if you break it down, nobody's been pushed like this, I don't think, that I can think of. And if I'm wrong, tweet me at not Sam. But I don't think anybody's been pushed like this since John Cena. And I do wonder. Finn Balor is a completely different animal. He was a, a, an internet darling before he was in WWE. He's got all this sort of international foundation behind him. He's got a story. He, he, he looks cool. You know, he does amazing things in the ring. He's not John Cena. That's, it's a different 
animal. John Cena feels like a Hulk Hogan type. Like, John Cena feels like the type of wrestler that the WWE would put on as their guy. Finn Balor doesn't necessarily feel like the typical guy that WWE would decide is their poster boy, but there's no doubt about it. That's where they're going with this. And you have to wonder. I think there were elements of Finn Balor being pushed on people before this NXT show. Did it have negative results at all? No. Everybody loved the documentary they put out. Everybody loves Finn Balor. I do wonder if they're going to be able to stop themselves from getting overly excited and and keep Finn Balor with this steady momentum because it feels like they just want to bet the farm with him. They just want to take everything and put it all on red and black, the demon. Put it on both. We're going from neon to red and black. That's what it feels like they want to do. And I would hope for the sake of the future of the company, for the sake of Finn Balor, for the sake of everything, that they let this build happen steadily. Because the last thing you want is for these fans to start smelling that they weren't the ones who created this superstar. Because we've seen it happen time and time again. Whether it's Batista, whether it's Roman Reigns, whether it's anyone. Whether it's John Cena. The fans of today, you can't get the reaction that you have to get from your number one good guy in a building if the fans feel like they didn't pick this good guy. And if the fans start to feel that way about Finn Balor, he's in trouble and the company's in trouble. Right now they don't feel that way at all, and WWE has been doing an immaculate job, an immaculate job of making him seem like a big deal. It's just a matter of maintaining that. It's just a matter of not pushing too hard because it's happening organically. That's the thing. It's happening organically as it is. So if it's happening organically, there's no reason to push harder. There just isn't. You know, it, 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 it's happening. So just kind of let it happen. Keep pushing it along. But don't, don't push it for them. Like just, you're just there to spot Finn Balor at this point. You're there to spot him, to make sure he doesn't fall back. You're there to put him in the right spots. But you're not there to push, 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 hold him up. You don't need to hold up Finn Balor. The fans are holding him up. And that's the secret. You have to let the fans hold him up and then, and then kind of allow the skyrocket to happen. Fuel the jetpack, but don't light that, mother. Don't light it. Let the fans light the jetpack. You supply the fuel. And right now, the WWE is doing a good job of supplying that fuel to Finn Balor. I just hope that they don't get overzealous and light it for the fans. That remains to be seen. But... Great match. I mean, Kevin Owens is incredible. Kevin Owens is incredible. There's no doubt in my mind why he was brought to the main roster as quickly as he was. He's amazing. His body language, the way he talks, his ownership of his character, everything about him is just entertaining. He doesn't look anything like anybody we've ever seen before. He, doesn't, he certainly doesn't look like anybody who would succeed in WWE, but Sami gets in the ring, and he's entertaining, and right now he's being allowed to be entertaining. And he's doing an amazing job. I hope he wins the U.S. title. I think Kevin, Bal- uh, Kevin Balor, they've married each other. I think Kevin Owens with a championship is more valuable than Kevin Owens without a championship. Uh, but even without, he's, he's entertaining as hell. So, uh, I mean, he had a great showing. His ability to be a heel in the face of adversity, all people want to do is cheer Kevin Owens. 
And the fact that he can turn that around on people. He can trick people into thinking they're going to get what they want and then lock on a rest hold. His use of rest holds, his use of headlocks, arm bars, traditional wrestling moves to get real booze is incredible because people know what he's capable of. And he'll put out a little bit of that in the match, but then he'll let you know, this is what I'm capable of. I'm not giving it to you because you want it. And that's just beautiful. Most people don't have the courage to do that. Most people wouldn't do that. And that's, 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 that's one of the big reasons why he's so successful is Kevin Owens. Um, as I was saying at the beginning of this, the Brock Lesnar thing was, I think, done perfectly. What really I thought was interesting, and by the way, I don't want to say I called that here on the podcast, but I called that here on the podcast. Not only the NXT victory. It was funny. A bunch of wrestling websites were taking credit for saying, you know, we reported here that Finn Balor was going to win the NXT title. And it was like, yeah, anybody watching NXT TV knew that Finn Balor was going to win the NXT title. That wasn't a surprise at all for anyone. If I had a wrestling website, I would have just written it. Inside sources are telling us that Finn Balor is going to win the title. Inside sources are, I've been watching wrestling for 30 years, and I know how stories are told. I know where they're going, at least somewhat. That's the inside sources, as far as Finn Balor winning the title. Um, Yeah, I thought, you know, and Brock Lesnar taking out all of New Day was exactly what should have happened, because he's Brock Lesnar. He's an attraction, as I said, and we'll talk about his axe play in a moment. But I thought what was really interesting was you look at a guy like Big E, and Big E was brought in to be not quite a Brock Lesnar type, but to be that powerhouse, to be that dominant person, almost like a mini Mark Henry. I don't even want to say mini Mark Henry, a young Mark Henry. He was brought in to be that sort of dominant powerhouse, immovable object. And, you know, just because of the way things go, Brock Lesnar's treating him the same way he's treating Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods. He's just part of New Day now. He's not that powerhouse guy. Now, he could be. Anybody that looks like Big E at any moment, they could change that, that story, that, that character into something, you know, far more fearsome. But Big E's also got a great personality. He's a funny guy. So, uh, you know, who knows what they're going to do with Big E. But I just thought it was interesting that where he, you know, in NXT – was famous for not settling for a three count when he pinned somebody, but needing a five count like King Kong Bundy because he would just dominate his opponents so much that he needed a five count because regular rules couldn't apply to him. He was so much better than everybody else. And now he's just one of the New Day guys that Brock Lesnar takes out. The only uh, – I also – the Japanese fans. We are talking about all the John Cena fans. I thought it was so cool. You could tell, because everybody talks about the Japanese sensibility, the fans, and how they're quiet. If you go back a couple months, find the podcast I did with Carl Anderson here on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, and I talked to him about the fans and wrestling in Japan and how he had to get used to the Japanese fans and the way they're quiet and respectful. And they were much more quiet on Beast in the East than they are, like, for instance, they were a lot more quiet than the Chicago fans who were on Raw. What a great crowd the Raw Chicago audience was this week. But... Um, I thought it was very interesting the way the Japanese fans mimic the American chants. They're speaking a different language, but still, their chants are, are the American chants. They're chanting, let's go Cena, Cena sucks. They're chanting, this is awesome. They're doing all the American chants that they hear on TV. They kind of know what it means, and they're able to apply it to the show. Uh, I thought that was really cool to see them, because in America... 
we all talk about Japanese wrestling and all this uh, stuff that's not mainstream in America. That's the cool stuff. So the fact that there are people over in Japan that aren't just New Japan geeks, they're sitting there watching WWE and they're trying to mimic what they see, it's pretty incredible. It's pretty incredible. Um, My only thing, I didn't understand at all why Jericho would beat Neville at that show. I thought it was the perfect opportunity to give Neville a big victory. I thought Jericho's a great guy for Neville to beat. Um, I don't know what it does for anyone to have Jericho win the match. The match was incredible. I could argue that that was the best match on the show. It was either that or Balor versus Owens, obviously. But the Neville-Jericho match was so good. Jericho still got it. I mean, he can still go. The problem is he just does house shows. He doesn't even do TV. So what good does it do to have him beat Neville? I don't know. But the match was was extremely entertaining regardless. Uh, I want to get into uh, Raw a little bit. Of course, Lesnar with the axe. I, I was surprised. I guess a fan got hit with that car door that Brock Lesnar flung. I couldn't – as far as he threw that car door, it was incredible. I guess a fan got hit um, with a car door. Only in wrestling is there a story that says – the fan leaving the Allstate Arena that got hit with a car door. Uh, but I could have sworn, watching that axe bounce off that car on Raw this week, uh, I was like, Brock Lesnar is going to cut his face open. Brock Lesnar is going to axe himself by mistake. I've held an axe before. It is the scariest thing in my life. I chopped nothing with it. I put it down immediately. And it was sharp on both ends. I was sure he was going to swing back and knock, knock himself in the back of the head. I thought Brock Lesnar was going to kill himself on Raw on Monday, playing with that axe. Now, maybe that's because I'm not much of a man. But when he had two axes in his hand, and he's just swinging them like he's, a, like he's in the medieval times, he's swinging them like a knight. That's what people used to do to protect kings before there was actual weaponry, before we had semi-automatic weapons. They used to have two axes, and they would just swing them around. Brock Lesnar is going to show up at a Raw with a mace, with a big spiked mace on a chain. He is an animal. I've never seen... I thought the sledgehammer was cool when Triple H started using it. For somebody to actually use a real axe, let alone two real axes, on Monday Night Raw, it was incredible. Incredible. And it only added to this idea that Brock Lesnar is a monster, that he's superhuman. Some people were saying, you know, why would he beat up the car? He should go and beat up those guys. No. He's superhuman. He plays with axes. Nobody plays with axes. It's modern day. People are human beings now. They don't need to, to futz around with axes anymore. They're so dangerous and heavy and hard to manage. Brock Lesnar had one in each hand, and he was just bouncing it off this car. Do you know how quickly I would cut my own leg off if I was trying to axe a car? First of all, I wouldn't make a scratch on the car. I wouldn't dent. Second of all, the axe would just bounce back, and I'd cut my shin off. That's exactly how it would go down. For Brock Lesnar, he made it look so easy. It was incredible. It was really, really uh, a great segment on Raw. Um, Other than that, I guess is the big 2K16 reveal. I love Stone Cold Steve Austin. You know that by now. You've heard the two podcasts I did with him. You heard him on this podcast, I hope, by now. Uh, He's on the cover of WWE 2K16. They're calling it WWE 2K316. Love it. 
I love that he's on the cover because the one thing I like doing in wrestling games is being stone cold and dropping stunners on people. It's the best finishing move in the history of any wrestling game that you can just go in. I set it to like five finishers to start the match, and I just drop stunners all day. All I do, and then I get the meter up, and I drop another stunner, drop another stunner. Iron Man matches are the best because all I do is drop stunners all day long. I worry a little bit, and I tend to worry, and I'm very... The way I look at things, I really am a, a try to be a forward-thinking person, and I never rest on laurels. And I do worry a little bit that the cover boy for WWE's game was the hottest superstar in wrestling 15 years ago. It makes me wonder if that is not on some level an admission that the stars of today are not as big, not as famous, not as popular, not as whatever as the stars of yesterday. You know, I'm not sure that that spot, the cover of the game, and who knows? I don't know what the theme of the game is yet, so maybe it's very Stone Cold-centric and that's a necessity. But I'm not sure that it wouldn't have been better to throw a Roman Reigns or a Dean Ambrose or a Bray Wyatt or even a Seth Rollins. Throw one of those guys on the cover of the game and allow the game itself to build them. Because I think you can put somebody on the cover of that game who's not as well-known as Stone Cold Steve Austin and allow the superstar to build the game, but the game to build the superstar all at the same time. I think there's a lot you can do with that. I think that's a very valuable spot. And, you know, I understand how many times can you put John Cena on the cover of a video game. But I think there are other things. I think Seth Rollins is the champion of the world. Why not put Seth Rollins on the cover of that game? Why not? I think people, the brand, WWE 2K, is what's really selling the game. People wait every October. They know every October they're dropping a new WWE game. Every October I buy the game. I don't think that they're going to sell that many less games if you take Stone Cold off the cover. So for me, if I was running things, I'd probably request that one of the current superstars gets on the cover of the game. Somebody who was the main event of WrestleMania. Because right now... You just have somebody being like, look, Stone Cold is the greatest of all time. And he is. I think that. In my opinion, Stone Cold Steve Austin is the greatest wrestler of all time. But this isn't a Legends of Wrestling game. This is a WWE 2K16. That stands for 2016. And in 2016, who is pushing WWE forward? Stone Cold Steve Austin isn't pushing him forward. He's not. He's a, I mean, he's been an amazing ambassador. Everything he touches is gold. All of the things he's done on the network are amazing if he's back hosting a season of Tough Enough after this season's over, it will be amazing. Everything he chooses to do is incredible. If he decides to ever come back into the ring for a match, it'll be the biggest match of all time. But I don't think he will come back for a match. I don't think he'll fight at WrestleMania. And because he's not going to fight at WrestleMania, I don't know what it does for WWE to have Stone Cold on the cover of that video game. I'm still going to buy it. I'm still going to drop stunners everywhere I go. And I'm still going to tell you that the Texas Rattlesnake is the greatest superstar of all time. I just wonder if it's not an opportunity that could have been better used on somebody else. Listen, thank you for listening to this week's wrestling podcast. Thanks to Jim Cornette. Uh, we'll see. I'll see what happens at the Performance Center tomorrow. Hopefully I'll have some stuff for the podcast. If not, there's always more guests coming. You don't need to worry about that. There's always going to be another week. Uh, show your support for the podcast. Do me a favor. Show up to a live event wearing a T-shirt. Go to ProWrestlingTees.com slash Sam Roberts. And show up to an event wearing a Not Sam Mode shirt. So show up with a What's the Haps t-shirt on. On a WWE show. It'll be great. 
I'll be sitting there at home. I'll tweet out a picture of my TV. It'll be incredible. Do it. Will you? I think it's a good idea. Uh, thanks all for listening. Thanks to Jim Cornette, and we'll see you next week here on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Follow at MilkSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And subscribe for free to listen every week to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast.